Do we need federal regulations for airlines regarding COVID-19 safety? How should Christians respond to the destruction of statues and monuments? And how should we weigh risk? This is On Life with Jamie Sinclair, Episode 7. I recently came across an article on AviationPros.com, and the, the headline is this, Airlines, Airports, Fly Blind Without Federal Coordination of COVID-19 Safety Protocols. And the basic premise was just the, the author was complaining uh, that there, there weren't unified standards for the various airlines, and then they actually described one scenario where Delta seemed to have a less crowded airplane than American Airlines. And so the immediate appeal was, we need the federal government to bring regulations. And uh, certainly there are times when the federal government regulates things. My personal take is those times should be few and far between. Uh, And here's, here's a little bit of the thinking regarding this. If American is being reckless, why not? submit a complaint to American Airlines and maybe start a boycott campaign if they don't change their policy. Or maybe Delta was being too safe. Uh, But I've got news. None of these airlines, Delta, American Airlines, or any others, none of them want them to be like the center of the next COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, They're all doing things. They have protocols in place. and, And here's the thing. God is creative, and we are created in his image. Uh, The world is filled of literally billions of people with creative potential, hardworking potential, lots of ingenuity. Uh, There's nothing wrong with allowing lots of skilled people to uh, tackle challenges and come up with creative solutions. In Exodus chapter 35, uh, in, in Exodus 35 and 36, it's part of the description of like the tabernacle being constructed. The word skilled is used seven times in those two chapters. In Exodus 35, verse 10, we read, Let all the skilled artisans among you come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. There was a sense of there are people with skills. Like, let's let them work. And and the instructions to build the, the temple didn't include this is where to hold the hammer and how many nails to, like, you're skilled. Come and, and use your abilities, use your talents, use your, your creativity. Come and help be part of this thing. Um, not only is government not always required, but allowing skilled people to innovate does a couple of things. Firstly, it allows in this example, it allows Delta Airlines and American Airlines to both pursue individual creative strategies. And maybe they'll both be very successful. Maybe one of them will actually come up with a better solution than the other. What if the poorer solution had been the federal mandate? Like one of the great things about allowing private sector innovation is you can try a bunch of things and see which ones are best over time. Um, and, And it's not simply that you can try a bunch of things, but you can try them concurrently. If the government was just if, if all the airline safety policies were managed strictly by the federal government, we would try one approach for a couple of years. And if it maybe worked with, you know, a B minus effectiveness, we might try to change things up in another couple of years to see if we can get an A. But man, what a slow approach. What if we allowed a dozen different airlines to try a dozen different approaches, all, all serious approaches? Nobody's being like, 
are recklessly negligent. And if they are, they could be prosecuted. But if they're all trying serious, hey, let's use our creativity. Let's let's uh, put our minds to action. Let's hire experts. Let's do some uh, research and try things out. Man, this is a bunch of concurrent experiments. Over time, this is going to allow far superior solutions reached at a far faster rate. Now, I'm not saying there's never a role for federal governmental regulation or even state and local government regulations, but first, that case itself needs to be made. The assumption in this article is, hey, there's some sort of inconsistency. Obviously, the federal government needs to step in. And I would say, "Mm, actually, why? Make that case for me. I think the fact that American and Delta are doing things slightly differently is fine. Let's see which one works out better over time and props to them. Uh, I don't know. I hope that makes sense. Just a simple article that I had come across and I thought it'd be a great example to talk about the power of private sector innovation and ingenuity. Okay. A question came in about statues. What do you know? Here's the question. What would you say to someone who tries to justify destroying federal monuments? I know many Christians would even argue that it's a good thing to destroy government property. With the argument, at least it's getting the government's attention. What would you recommend saying to someone who has such a strong view in promoting destruction of monuments and statues, particularly monuments of honorable Southern leaders during the American Civil War? Okay, I would call that a slightly leading question, but thank you for submitting. I love it. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting topic, both in current events, but it also gets at the biblical principle of honor. And again, part of what I want to do in this podcast is not just be chained to current events. I want to think well and think biblically about all areas of life. And I do think this is an awesome opportunity to think about honor. Ultimately, we are to honor the Lord. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17. Now to the king, excuse me, you, you might hear some noise in the background. I'm at a building that's having some maintenance done at the moment, but hopefully you can hear me nice and clearly and it's not too disruptive. First Timothy chapter one, verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we show honor to the Lord. It's kind of like the simple, you know, the Sunday school answer is always Jesus. It's like, what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to honor God, bring glory to God. First uh, Timothy 1.17 is kind of like the, uh, the, the the purpose and why are we doing this thing answer to every question. Uh, okay, but, the, but what we see biblically is that, yeah, ultimately we honor God, but actually God's called us to honor lots of other people. Um, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown and he's there with the disciples and he's teaching in the synagogue and and, and people start asking, hey, where'd this man get these things? What wisdom does he have? And isn't that the carpenter, the son of Mary, the the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And in Mark 6, it says they were offended by him because they realized he was a local. And this was Jesus's response. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. It then says, he was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around to the village's teaching. 
So we see this statement of Jesus, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And he was not saying this to, to like affirm, oh, it's a good thing not to honor the minister of God. Uh, no, he was saying this to their, to their detriment. They were missing out on something because they weren't showing him honor. Uh, so we're called to honor prophets, honor ministers generally. Um, there's a call to honor our parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and your days may be long upon the earth. And we know, well, I shouldn't say we, most of us probably know, this is a reiteration of one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother. Uh, this is a principle that we see in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. This is something that God has for us. Honor your parents. Uh, in Leviticus, we see that there's a principle to honor the elderly. Leviticus 19, verse 32. You are to rise in the presence of the elderly and honor the old. Fear your God. I am the Lord. So we're, we're to show honor to those who are uh, senior to us, those who've experienced some years. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter's talking and um, he's probably writing this right before he was put to death in maybe the mid-60s AD under Emperor Nero. And this is something he says. He says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as a free people not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Now, the Greek word here for honor is tamao, and it means, what do you know, honor or value. Like, to, to kind of recognize and esteem, like, this is somebody God's placing in my life. I'm going to show them honor. I'm going to show, like recognize who they are, embrace them, show them value. So we see this principle to honor. Um, simple, right? Well, real life. <laughs> real life. Uh, our parents make mistakes. They're not perfect. Even our ministers are imperfect. Maybe your, your pastors, your elders, somebody, some, a guest minister who comes in, somebody who's working in the prophetic, just because they have a gift from the Lord and they are a gift to the church from the Lord doesn't mean they're perfect. Nobody's perfect. Certainly the emperor is imperfect. Nero. A Peter, Peter said this about Nero. Now, if you don't know much about Nero, Nero murdered his mother. He murdered his wife. He married a man, maybe even a boy still, uh, forced him to be castrated and to dress as a woman. Like the, the guy was crazy. He ended up leading like the, the first significant round of like Roman persecution against the church. There were uh, persecution against the church by the Romans wasn't nonstop. There were like waves. But Nero was responsible for one. That's likely when the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were both killed. Uh, now, obviously, Peter hadn't been killed yet when he wrote this, but Nero was certainly no saint. Nero is certainly no saint. And, and what Peter's saying is not to pretend he's perfect, but to recognize, hey, this is somebody that God's placed in my life and I'm going to honor them. Uh, we honor the elderly. Again, Leviticus 19, you are to rise in the presence of the elderly and honor the old. 
you, you might see in the youth today a tendency to a tendency towards rebellion to see the aged as out of touch and and certainly you know people might you know people who are senior i'm talking people who are 60 70 80 90 maybe they don't use the same terminology we use they haven't read all the latest tweets or even the latest books uh, we can still honor them and and it's not just the thing today you can look throughout history even way back was it was it absalom maybe who like rejected the wise counsel of somebody who is uh, an advisor for his father and listened to his friends um, there's a tendency in youth to think, I they don't really know what's going on. I've got it figured out. Man, how ignorant and arrogant we can be. Um, we can honor those who are older than us. And it, and it turns out they might have a lot of wisdom we need. Uh, I, I know that me, for, for me myself, uh, I myself, excuse me, I myself, I've, I frequently ask my dad questions. Uh, he's a great source of wisdom for me. And, and I found ev- like anytime I have opportunity to connect with somebody who's lived a bit, I'm going to ask them questions. Probably not so much about current events um, that they may or may not be very informed on in order to give great insights, but I definitely want to ask them questions about their life over the years. I want to listen to stories from the 60s, 70s, 80s, I want to hear their experiences with family, neighbors, local church, business. Uh, there's a lot to be gleaned there, there. And even if they have nothing to give you, simply because they're the ones who've gone before us, they've, they've invested, they've sacrificed, they've toiled, there's a place for us to show them honor. Honor your parents. Again, there can be ma- major breakdowns here. Um, I realized that even in a relatively healthy family, it can be hard to honor your parents sometimes, certainly where there's tremendous brokenness, maybe uh, divorce, neglect, uh, various issues. Maybe you have decent parents, but they're not saved. And it's just like, how do I honor? Honor does not mean you pretend everything is perfect and everything's okay. Honor does mean you recognize your parents as your parents that you thank the Lord for them, that you pray for them, that you encourage and support them as best you can. And even if they aren't believers to the extent that you're able, I would just, I would strongly encourage you ask their input, Um, show them that you value them. That's what really honor is. It's, It's a valuing saying, I value you. You're not perfect. You've made mistakes. Maybe you've made some major mistakes, but you're my parents. I thank the Lord for you. I value you. I want you involved in my life to the extent that it's possible. And hopefully you have a really healthy relationship with your parents. But even if it's not that great, are you able to include them in a conversation about college, major, career decisions, marriage, where you live? Uh, Find ways to honor them. It's not just a nice idea. It is a command from the Lord. And this honor, it includes the emperor. This means our our presidents, our representatives, our senators, judges, police, etc. We need to find ways to honor. Again, we certainly don't have to pretend they're perfect. And I do want to say very clearly, I haven't always done this perfectly myself. I'm not trying to like, oh, I've always honored. Why don't the kids these days honor everyone well? Uh, Certainly there's, there's room for us all to grow. Here's one place to start. Recognize 
the people in your life are the people that God's placed in your life in this season. Um, you know, the, the, the whole not my president type thing, that's really kind of like flying in the face of the biblical admonition for us. It's, he is our president. Gillibrand, Schumer, they're my senators. Uh, Stefanik, she's my representative. Uh, like going through and recognizing these are the, just recognize the people that God's placed in your life. Thank the Lord for them. Pray for them. If you've complained about a person in authority over you, but you haven't been praying for them, repent. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. You're in sin. It's that simple. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying honor is easy, but honor is clearly what we're commanded to do. Okay. So I kind of went on this deep dive into honor. I've kind of sidestepped the actual conversation at hand. Statues. So getting back to statues. So when it comes to statues, I don't have like the be all end all. Let me just share some thoughts. Again, kind of trying to keep in mind this principle of honor being significant, but also recognizing, uh, you know, if your mom is like a serial killer or something, you don't necessarily need to throw statues ever everywhere all over the planet. You know what I mean? There's a way to say like, she's my mom. And I want to thank the Lord for her, but I also recognize that uh, she's a serial killer. That's very unlikely, which is why I use that example. Okay, so statues. A first question to ask maybe is like, who is this statue of? Um, secondly, why are we remembering the person this is a statue of? Uh, thirdly, what, what's the historical context? Fourthly, what's the modern message? And finally, if we do remove it, like what's the process for doing that in a good, healthy way? What, what, how do we decide on like where to finally locate it? Things like that. So, okay. So firstly, who is it? Um, there's a big difference between a Confederate general and uh, the Emancipation Memorial, which was Lincoln and kind of like a, a, an anonymous slave, freed slave. Uh, and the memorial to Thomas Jefferson, right? Those are very different things. Uh, in your question, you specifically ask about Confederates. Um, I think you said, uh, particularly monuments of honorable Southern leaders during the American Civil War. So, so here's, I said your question was a little bit loaded uh, because it, it's kind of, uh, are they honorable? What does that mean exactly? Do you mean like they were not racist, that they never had slaves, that they were abolitionists themselves, that they uh, were not in favor of seeing people dying? Like what is, I'm not sure that seems a little loaded. So I'll just say Southern leaders during the American Civil War, such as a, a statue of like Stonewall Jackson or Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis or something like that. Um, well, uh, uh let, let's talk about that more in a moment, but I can very much appreciate why many people would want to remove uh, a statue of somebody like that. Where's the, the Emancipation Memorial? Uh, about a week ago, I saw a bunch of videos. There were like a mob there trying to, to get the Emancipation Memorial taken down. What's crazy with the Emancipation Memorial is it's, it's a statue of Lincoln with the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation and like a freed slave. It's like, why? That seems like a great thing to commemorate. Um, and then a statue of somebody like Thomas Jefferson. I think 
part of why I wanted to go down that long, I shouldn't say long, but brief, but fairly thorough dive into the biblical principle of honor is because although it started maybe with some Confederate generals, very quickly, these memorial statue abolition type movements, they expand to anyone who's ever made a mistake. Has Thomas Jefferson made some mistakes? Yeah, some massive mistakes. But Thomas Jefferson's also a polymath who articulated clearly values that are still like some of the most admirable like in the civics world today. All men are created equal. Amen. Can you not amen, amen that? Like he's the one who wrote that. Uh, so I think it's significant to say who is this person? The next question though is like, why are we remembering them? Are we remembering them for courage and their humanity or because they're, they're slave owners or white supremacists? So going back to Thomas Jefferson for a moment, do we make a memorial of Thomas Jefferson because he had slaves, because he had an affair with one of them? possibly uh, leveraging his power dynamic there. It might even be called like rape by a modern definition. No, I don't think anybody thinks that's why we have the Jefferson Memorial. Uh, it's, it's because of the, the, the Declaration of Independence and like lots of other great things he said. And He was a complex person. Yeah, he held slaves, but he also said, I tremble for my nation when I remember that God is just in light of the sin of slavery. Like he was complex and the memorial to Jefferson is... This guy was really wrestling with questions of human equality and liberty and what these things meant. Like, that's why there's memorials there. Now, the thing about the Confederate generals is there are tons. There are many, many, many statues and memorials. Some of them, from according to like what I've learned from reading, some of them were very clearly placed during the Jim Crow era as kind of like a a resurrection of antebellum pride as a kind of rub it in, uh, you know, whites are in charge of this area, that kind of thing. And yeah, man, if that's part of like the, why they were put up and that's part of the historical context, which is the next point, like I'm a lot more open to removing that thing. But, but I could also imagine if the historical context for a particular memorial was, it was put up in the 1870s by people who literally like half the guys they knew who went off to fight died. And it was just a memorial to the dead, to their humanity, to the fact that they, they went and they died trying to protect their family and country. They might've been in horrible error, but you can still recognize their, their humanity and have a, a memorial to the dead, so to speak. Like, so the historical context matter, matters a lot, but also the modern message matters. What does it mean today? I think the Confederate flag itself is a great example of this. Uh, I've, I've certainly heard, and I think you can make a decent case for saying the reason I have a Confederate flag bumper sticker is just to affirm states' rights or some sort of political statement like that. But do you realize that to most people who see that, it looks like you're just like, associating with and defending slavery and white supremacy and uh like man like just take it down 
there are certainly hills worth dying on in terms of like, that's not what this means. For example, the word Christian, although I'll often give my first definition, like, hey, what's your faith? Like, I follow Jesus. Part of why I say that is to slightly distance myself from just the word Christian has a lot of baggage that it's, it's grabbed a hold of over the centuries, you know, from the crusades to who knows what kind of political overtones today. But at the same time, I'm not going to stop calling myself a Christian. Followers of Jesus have been being called Christians since some of the very earliest years of the existence of the church. It says, I believe it's Acts 11, when we saw the, the church at Antioch, that's where they were first called Christians. And I think it's like worth being like, even though there's baggage, even though this is misunderstood, even though this might mean a lot of things to a lot of people, it is worth dying on that hill, being like, I'm a Christian. And I'm going to like try to fight to like clarify what this means. Uh, The Confederate flag on your bumper sticker. Mm, Nope. Just get rid of it. Like just, I don't even understand why I don't have much time for that. Okay. So the final thing though, was if removed and I'm definitely open to likely a lot of the Confederate monuments being removed. Um, They're monuments of Confederate generals. A lot of them were placed there for the point of, Uh, kind of honoring slavery and white supremacy and resurrecting, you know, a a antebellum pride of sorts during the Jim Crow era. Uh, And and what they mean today, what the message they convey today is not a message of states' rights. It's a message of uh, racism and division. So generally speaking, for a lot of these, I'm probably open to them being removed. Again, there might be the occasional one where it's like, no, this was just a simple memorial for the dead, honoring their humanity and courage. I I might be open to keeping that, like if I were the one voting. But generally speaking, I'm open to a lot being removed. But then the question is the process. The appropriate process is not via mob tearing it down. That is so disordered and foolish. Finally, like what's the resting place? For me personally, I'm actually pretty open to selling most public monuments and statues, even museums, and having them be held by private entities. Um, I'm, I'm fine privatizing the, uh, what are the museums in DC called? Smithsonian, Smithsonian? I don't remember what that word is. Uh, anywho, the museums in DC, uh, a, a lot of these, uh, the, the truth is, um, I really enjoy monuments and memorials, but many of them simultaneously make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It might be a memorial of a person, but it's almost like a monument to a person too. It, some of them occasionally strike me as a bit of like empire worship at times. Uh, just like even way back in the day, there'd be statues of, of Caesar or, you know, images of, pharaohs or even the the massive golden statue of the the babylonian king and you had to bow down and worship there does almost seem to be a sense of i love i've I've been to the the jefferson and the lincoln memorial and obviously the washington like a number of times and they're really they're they're awesome they're inspiring they're awing but at times it's also a little bit like uh I'm, i'm a little uncomfortable with the 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 sense of like empire worship that I get at times. Um, 
I think the Vietnam Memorial is really, really, really well done. Uh, one of the things about the Vietnam Memorial that's great is when I go to the Nam Memorial, I'm not overcome by some sort of like uh, borderline nation worship. I'm overcome by just the the sacrifice of many humans. It shows their humanity, listing all the names. It's honoring their courage, their service, but not in any way glorifying war or the United States of America. I like that memorial. Uh, A lot of monuments and memorials, I'm not so like huge on myself, and I'd be totally fine if we sold them to private nonprofits and people who wanted to take care of them and charge a price for people to see them and people who want to see them can go look at them. So those are some thoughts on monuments generally. The particulars maybe are different for every monument, but that's some things to think through. One is uh, we can honor people who aren't perfect. But when it comes to a statue, yeah, who is it? Why is it here? What's the historical context? What's the modern message? If it does get removed, what's a good process and final resting place? Uh, Hopefully that helps a little bit. Sadly, I did not give you the be-all, end-all answer. Good luck. Okay, um, next question that came in, weighing risk. Here's the question. As Christians, how do we balance our personal health choices with caring for local community? Are we called to love others by engaging in behavior that might inconvenience us or be detrimental to us personally, but benefit society as a whole? Would the same thought process apply to the controversial topic of vaccinations in general? Under the borderline mandated push for herd humanity, herd immunity, regardless of the documented adverse effects? Might the pandemic's general social distancing risks and benefits be comparable to, say, driving, as it's along the same lines of personal decision, increasing injury or death risk to oneself and others? Okay, interesting question. I love this one. Super interesting. So, so, so there's a couple things here. I mean, primarily this is about weighing risk, but it's also thinking risk to oneself versus risk to my community. It's a very interesting question. Obviously, we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, and love is most poignantly demonstrated in laying one's life down for one's friend. I do think, eh, let's talk about risk a little bit too. So that's like, definitely we want to be considering those around us. Um, Proverbs 14, verse 16. A wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. So I think it's, it is wise, clearly, to see and consider risks. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The slacker says, there's a line in the road, a line in the public square. Now, this proverb is primarily about laziness, and it's important with proverbs not to, like, overly read into them. You have to basically ask, what's the point of this? It's like a parable a little bit. But one of the reason this came to mind was, uh, especially the past few months, risk, I feel like, has, has been very poorly considered. And the reality is this. Being alive is full of risks. Uh, If you leave your house, you might get struck by lightning or stung by a killer hornet or get in a car crash or like fall through a 
oh what are they called when you're just like walking and there's like the, the ground like caves in like you get my my gist like there's a bajillion things that could happen uh there's a line in the road that there's a risk but guess what if you just sit in your bed you're probably gonna die years earlier from heart disease or who knows what or you'll you're more likely to get sick if you're just inside all the time like life is risky and it's the slacker who allows just the idea of risk in any level to paralyze us um here's a, a passage in luke 14 jesus is talking about following him and the cost of discipleship but he shares a couple illustrations showing that we should count the cost, but just because there is a cost doesn't mean something isn't worth doing. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build the tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he is able to go with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not... While the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. So clearly the, the main point of this passage is following Jesus and, and turning from everything else to embrace him as Lord. But the illustrations Jesus gives are wisdom counts the cost. It, it takes into account risks. But sometimes the risk is worth it. Uh, we don't want to be foolish, but we also don't want to be absolutely paralyzed in a world that is replete with risks. Uh, so how do we move forward? Well, I, you, you brought up a great uh, parallel when you said driving. I think driving is, is super handy. Uh, anytime somebody talk, talks about risks, I tend to think of driving because driving is a behavior. And by driving, I'm talking about using cars, automobiles. Driving is relatively risky and it's something that almost all of us engage in. Not only is it relatively risky and something we all engage in, but if we had like a, a law that manufacturers had to install governors inside cars where they would, they would top out at like 20 miles per hour, we would probably go from I don't remember what the current numbers are, maybe around 30,000 car like deaths a year from car accidents and a couple million injuries. We'd go from like that to almost zero and zero. Like literally being able to drive 60 miles per hour, the, the convenience and the economic gains are worth to us collectively are worth tens of thousands of lives every year and hundreds of thousands of injuries. Maybe you've never thought about that before. It's time to think about it and like realize what you're engaged in. Okay. And then you might freak out for a moment and be like, why are any of us driving? But then step back and think, okay, what would, what would our world look like? How would the past hundred of years, hundred years have, have developed differently if we weren't able to drive around at a 60 miles per hour? 
radically differently. Yeah, there might be like a million people here right now who hadn't died in car accidents, but our but our society would be way, way, way behind where it is right now without that. It's both convenient, but it's also economically advantageous. Okay, so driving is great because it's something almost all of us engage in, and it's relatively risky. Uh, it's probably more risky than having like a pool at your house, although having a pool at your house is more dangerous than owning guns. Like, you know, th- having a pool, like there's just a good risk of drowning, etc. Like, so we engage in lots of things all the time that have risks associated with them. Flying, by the way, commercial airline travel is much safer than driving. Um, some people are scared of flying and I understand why it's, it's like, it feels less natural but it's actually way safer. So if you're afraid of flying, but not afraid to drive to the airport, you need to take a moment and become more rational. Okay, so back to the conversation at hand. Uh, How do we balance our personal health choices with caring for local community? Well, obviously, if we all engage in behaviors that on the whole are risky to ourselves, in the hopes that it helps the community generally, um, that's bad for the community. It means everybody's doing risky stuff. But what if you do something that's pretty low risk to yourself, pretty high chance of it helping the community, but there is a small chance it would actually hurt you? For example, vaccination. vaccinations i'm not going to get into a long debate on vaccination vaccines on the whole but what's clear is vaccines have eradicated nearly eradicated polio uh smallpox like tremendous gains in in lots of various sicknesses it's also true that there's like a vaccine for everything nowadays some of the materials used in the vaccine are very controversial symptoms they use uh, cells from aborted babies. Sometimes they use, I think like mercury has been used before. I'm not, this is not an area of expertise. I've looked into it enough to like have some general idea like, mm, okay, I, I'm like, I'm vaccine cautious. I'm not opposed. I'm I'm thankful vaccines exist, but I'm also a little skeptical of the massive list of vaccines on the current recommended schedule and also the aggressiveness. Uh, if you look at the the recommended schedule these days, so many vaccines for like babies, little young children, uh, give them a few years to develop and build up a healthy immune system before you uh, expose them to all this stuff. Um, Okay. But, but obviously vaccines do help on the whole, but, but sometimes somebody will get a vaccine and that vaccine, like uh, say a flu vaccine, There's a really small chance that when you get the flu, period, not just the vaccine, when you get the flu, your body can actually like have a freak out response and you can have autoimmune issues. Um, The same kind of thing can get triggered by the flu vaccine itself. So when you get a flu vaccine, you're actually taking a very, very small risk that you'll end up with like tremendous non-flu problems that are actually like autoimmune issues in your own body. But you're potentially helping reduce the number of people that are going to be that are infected with the flu and thus like carrying the flu to infect other people so you're thinking like for the people around me maybe the flu vaccine would be helpful 
Full disclosure, I've never had a flu vaccine. I don't plan on getting one. Who knows? Maybe someday. Uh, but like that, that's the kind of process one might be considering. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to have to pass on giving a clear answer regarding vaccines because I don't know enough about vaccines. Maybe someday I'll get like somebody who's a vaccine expert of sorts and interview them. But for now, let me talk about your second question. Are we called to love others by engaging in behavior that might inconvenience us personally, like masks and isolation, but benefit society as a whole? Hmm. I would say we are called to love the people around us well. And part of what's tricky with COVID-19 is there are a lot of question marks. There are a lot of question marks. Um, when, you know, early March, when we were first, when I was first reading about COVID-19 out in like Washington state or whatever, and then by mid-March, it was kind of hitting New York pretty hard. We had to shut down, I think, late, mid to late March. But like around that time, I was thinking a lot about risk. I was thinking a lot about driving. I was thinking about the flu, like, like looking at the numbers, how many people get sick and die from these, what are fatality rates and hospitalization rates. And, but I realized part of what's tricky with COVID-19 and it's still the case today is there are a lot of question marks. Um, I think clearly COVID-19 is not worst case scenario. Uh, you know, in, in early March it was like, man, this could be like a 5% death rate. I think very obviously it's 0.05 or, or less in the United States. I'm pretty sure those are like the latest numbers. Um, but there's still a lot of question marks. There are a lot of question marks about how bad COVID-19 really is. There are also a lot of question marks about what, how much does social distancing help? How much does a mask help? And what's, what's difficult is... Uh, we can't do a great job of sitting down and co counting the cost and saying, is this cost worth like whatever I'm getting by avoiding it? Like, so say when you don't wear a mask, you're not able to, your communication is hampered. Like so much communication happens with the face and not just communication to like make communication more effective, but communicating joy and peace and, and like, Man, uh, so, so we've had we've we've opened back up uh, Sunday services the past few weeks, and most people haven't been wearing masks. But th but there are there are masked interactions and there are distanced interactions. And I've been trying to be extra considerate because I realize some people are coming to service and they are trying to be really careful, and so they don't want somebody kind of in their space. And so I've been trying to do a good job of like generally speaking during Sunday services, staying distance wearing my mask when I'm around other people who want a mask and I have to be close to them. Um, I've been trying to be careful, but man, I, I have noticed like, this is just, it's unnatural and it's not, there's something spiritually, emotionally lacking. Like wearing the mask isn't just inconvenient. It is slowly eroding like a spiritual and emotional health in our communities. So there's a real cost to wearing a mask not just an inconvenience cost. Now, not wearing a mask and totally eschewing that advice, what's the cost there? And I think both costs right now are difficult to quantify. So I think I would leave it with wrestle with these things, pray about this, be considerate of others. One of the great things about the whole mask and distancing thing is 
if somebody's trying to be really careful, man, stay more than six feet from them. Wear a mask when you happen to be close to them. If if somebody's not being quite as uh, formal about it, maybe relax a little bit if you're not too worried yourself. Um, but I think what's really significant in loving others as ourselves is being respectful and considerate, even if it does seem like it's kind of expensive. Um, and then in other times, being free to say like, you know what, it doesn't seem like it's really worth it. And if it's the same for you, let's just connect and chill. Um, but but it is tricky. Uh, these are great questions. I wish I had simple answers to hand you, but I hope thinking through weighing risk, the biblical principle of certainly being cautious and turning from evil, but also realizing we can't just shout there's a lion on the road. We need to count the cost and at times recognize this is worth it. Uh, what's tricky with COVID-19 is it seems like the cost, but the cost of like, say, masks, wearing the mask and the cost of not wearing the mask, both of those are a little uh, ambiguous and thus hard to sit down and determine well. So I'd encourage you uh, be be relational, be considerate, be loving, be careful, but also recognize there's a cost both ways. I, one of the mistakes that's clearly being made by too many today is assuming that there is no cost to wearing a mask or that there is like monumental cost to wearing it. Uh, I, I think there's definitely a cost, but it's also not the biggest deal. So just try to do what's going to be considerate and helpful and loving to the people you're with. And, uh, Hopefully that helps. Yo, uh, I love these questions. I've got some more. I want to keep hearing from you guys though. So if you have any other thoughts, things for us to consider on the podcast together, please share those questions, those thoughts with me. Uh, the phone number to text is 315-528. Nope. That was going to give you my personal phone number, but I have a set phone number set up to go straight to email. The number is 315 315- Five six six zero zero five six. This is on life. Peace.